Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Well, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. All right, youth football availability coming up. Spring football, they're getting down to it. The spring game's a week from Saturday. They got a scrimmage this week. The spring game will be on the Pac-12 network. The scrimmage is not, so... Easy to uh, figure that this scrimmage will have some juicier stuff, PK, because they'll have to go vanilla when they go to uh, the Pac-12 network. Nobody wants to put anything on TV for everybody else to look at. Coaches being yeah. secret and all that. I don't think it's that big of a deal because you'll have played three games by the time you play in the conference, so I don't really see where it matters. Colton Swan, linebacker coach, scheduled to speak today. Nephi Sewell as well coming up here. You got any storylines you want to see or the storylines you want to see you just can't because we're not going to spring football this year? From the linebacker perspective? There or the team as well. Uh, Bigger than that. Anywhere on the defense. It all fits together. Yeah, I think linebacker, I mean, they normally go with the two linebackers. And I think they're set there. Lloyd, I think, is an NFL guy. And Sewell has worked his way up sort of like a Chase Hansen in that, uh, you know, he started out a uh, different position and moved him up. For Chase, it was at safety and then moved up to linebacker, and Sewell has moved up from that position there. So uh, I think they're ready to go there as far as that goes. Uh, they've had a nice run of NFL linebackers. All right, here is the linebackers coach, Colton Swan, in his third year now with the Utes after coaching at Weber State. Here's Colton. Linebackers coach Colton Swan, and we'll start with the Q and A portion with Trevor Allen of KSLSports.com. Go ahead, Trevor. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good, Trevor. How are you? Doing good. Um, when when you heard that Devin Lloyd was coming back for another season, what was your reaction? God, that was Christmas morning, right there, wasn't it? Huh? Yeah, it was. Uh, my reaction was pretty excited. He. Uh, he, as everybody knows, he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal young man, and uh, what a what a blessing! Uh, very excited to have him back. The opportunity to work with him for one more year, uh, perfecting his craft. You know, uh, we're always sharpening that axe, meaning we're always preparing, meaning we're always working to get better, and uh, and he's a huge component of that. So yeah, Christmas morning for sure. And then to follow up on that, you have two young guys who, who've already joined you in, in spring that were highly touted in Trey Reynolds and, and uh, Mason Tufaga. How have they performed in spring ball? Awesome. We uh, 10 practices in thus far and really grabbing the bull by the horns. They're doing a great job. They, uh, they come to work and work hard every day. Um, they've got a really good foundation coming into it already. Uh, a good, very good mindset. Um, the foundation of hard work has already been built. They love spending time in the in the uh, video room, wearing those projectors out. Um, great attitudes. Very tenacious kids. Very physical. Um, and yeah, love love everything about them that I'm seeing thus far. Okay, we'll go to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Colton, how are you? Good, Josh. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Um, Good. When you when you look at the room right now and, and just what you have, how, how reasonable is it maybe to believe that Ethan Calvert, when he gets there, could get on the field right away? Oh, Ethan's a uh, special player. Uh, he's had a great high school career. 
Um, you know, he's very highly touted across the country as linebacker play in his recruiting process. Um, you know, there's the expectations are high, uh, but in this program, in with me, nothing's nothing ever is given. It's always earned. Um, so the expectation is for him to come in and work hard, just like everybody else, and uh, and and earn that spot. If it's going to be on the field, you got to earn it. Um, you know, but my expectations are high. He's a very, uh, very good uh, high school player. And uh, I've got to do a good job in coaching him and putting him in position. But uh, I want him to come in and, and earn it and work for it, and which I know he will. That's his mentality and who he is. And just to follow that up, when, when you guys are able to get a recruit of that caliber, as you said, a great high school player, you know, the four-star, the whole thing, when you're able to get a, a kid like that, do, does that do something for the perception of Utah and for the perception of the defense at Utah? I think no doubt, no doubt. I think the country sees that, hey, the type of defense that we are, the style that we are, um, especially, you know, linebackers across the country that want to come play here. We've got a great defensive line in front of us uh, and, and playing the linebacker position that allows you to be very successful, um, have very high production and, uh, you know, being able to scrape from sideline to sideline. So, um, yeah, I think that's a huge recruiting tool uh, as well. And, and linebackers, like I said, across the country can see that and want to come play uh, for this university and this style of defense, no doubt. Next, we'll go back to Trevor Allen. Nephi really had a, I, I would say, breakout season last year. And, and, you know, what was what was some of the things that, you know, for him to be able to move from safety to linebacker and really produce the way that, that they did in those five games last year, what does that speak to what he's done? Man, he what a great kid. Uh, first off, he is, I should say, young man. He is a phenomenal individual, and he has an uncanny ability to get to the football. It's, it's something like I've never seen. He really, really understands offense. He really, really understands defense, and he puts himself in great positions to make plays. He's very productive, as you guys know. Um, you know, he's not the biggest man in stature, but uh, he's, he does pack a powerful punch, and uh, he is physical, and probably his best attribute is just how he can find ways to get to the football. Uh, he's just got a unbelievable knack for the football. Okay, any more questions for Coach Swan? All right, thank you. Colton Swan, linebacker coach right there, talking about Ethan Calvert. That's the four-star signee out of Oaks Christian in Southern California. Is he going to come in and be able to play right away? And he sure pumped up Nephi Sewell there at the end as well. That was... Sensational. He couldn't have said many nicer things about that, about uh, about him. Yeah, well, he'll be a starter this year. So uh, usually if you're a starter, you're pretty good. <laughs> All right, we're expecting to hear from uh, Nephi Sewell himself here in a second. He's supposed to uh, follow Colton Swan, so we'll get to that uh, momentarily. All right, so the, uh, the defense pretty much set. You got any questions about it, really, PK? Or not until... Not until you see if they can give it – if they'll have some of the breakdowns and big plays they had last season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the issue there. You know, what are they going to do? And, and, and I wonder last year how much was real. You know, how many – I was thinking about this the other day. How many times do you see a team blow a big lead at halftime? How many times do you see 
a team come back after being down big. Well, for the Utes, it happened twice. They blew one, and then they rallied once against the blowing it against Washington, and then the, the tremendous rally against Washington State. And, you know, you don't really see, normally see those big differences from half to half. And we saw them. Yeah. And they only played five games, and two of them were like that. And really the first game against SC, you really had no idea what you had because of so much new stuff. And if you would have played a regular season, you would have known, or normal season, you would have known a lot more by the time you got to SC because you would have played three games. And so you probably would have already established Ty Jordan. So that that had a potential to be significantly different. So the point I'm making is it's hard for me to judge uh, conclusive evidence based on last season because as crazy as it was there. And so I think that the best you can say from the youth perspective, because that's what we talk about, is that these kids got ex- some – Sort of experience that counted, but wasn't entirely 100% real because of all the circumstances involving that. So that's that's good and bad. Meaning they got they, the young the dudes got experience, but they didn't get the full measure of experience. So I can't say that they're completely and totally ready to go this season based on well now they're they're. Technically, they're sophomores, but they're not sophomores, and we won't really know until how that plays out for a couple years now uh, if they want to come back or how they classify themselves academically. I don't need, I, athletically. I don't know any of that for now. But they did get a, a fair amount of decent experience, but not the full extent. So what does that mean this year when they come back? If I judge it on normal, well, they would have played seven, eight games more then I would feel much more confident with only a few games and as crazy as they were, how much do I really count on them being better? I'm not sure on all that. I have to see some more evidence, and hopefully we get the 12 games, and for them, 13 or 14, or whatever they may get after the fact, that'll be great. In the short term, you know, what what do they have? I think they've they've, they've got a good nucleus but it would it be as good if they were all coming off of 12, 13 games as opposed to the five games? You see what I'm saying there? I absolutely see it, and I think you got to double down and say, I don't know what about the teams are going to play either. So as far as you know, making predictions or setting expectations well, or whatever, uh, yeah, I don't know. How real was Colorado? You know, I, uh, that, they've been bad. They, had, they got a new coach. Carl Durrell comes in. You know, they certainly – in the mini season we had, outstripped expectations. But was that a case of, hey, if more teams had seen them on film and they knew the personnel and knew what Durrell was doing, they would have they would have handled Colorado. And it maybe Colorado would have just been a team that got off to a fast start and then slumped. I mean the Washington State game was the big comeback because that was a three score game. Uh, but against Colorado they were they were down eleven, you know, on the road. I mean, it wasn't nothing. That, that was a comeback, and maybe their ability to come back there helped them you know, with the confidence wazoo. All right, here's Mephi Sewell sitting down now, Utah linebacker. Cell Sports. Mephi, you had a really productive 2020 season, especially when, when you moved up to linebacker. What led to, to being so productive in that season? Um, what led to me being productive was I got to give credit to our D linemen, you know, they take on a lot of blocks for me and Devin to come clean. 
And then shout out to Coach Juan for, you know, coaching me throughout the, you know, COVID season last year. You know, it wasn't easy for everyone. But um, I'm glad that I got the, the move to linebacker. And I'm glad that I had such a good coach, Coach Juan. And then also um, thanks to Coach Scally for um, scheming to put us in the right places, uh, everyone in the right places throughout uh, each week. So, yeah. And then do a follow-up on that. Um, Coach Swan said that you have a great nose for for where the football is. Does that come natural, or or, or do you have to work at that? Um, it comes natural, but um, at the same time, it comes uh, with practicing. You know, it's our culture to be relentless to the ball. And then uh, this spring has been like a, a teaching lesson to the young people of – how to become our culture, you know, running to the ball throughout every day of practice definitely helps when it comes to game. It comes easy, it comes easier in the game because my adrenaline's running. But yeah. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Nephi, uh, is there anything that you're working on specifically this uh, this off season to improve your game? Uh, yeah. So the main thing that uh, I've been trying to improve on with my game is uh, definitely taking on uh, blocks with linemen. I felt like uh, that is where um, I needed to improve most in terms of when to strike on the linemen and when to not. But that's basically my biggest thing I'm trying to focus on this uh, spring. And then just to follow up, being one of the, the upperclassmen linebackers, what are your uh, initial thoughts on some of the new freshmen that have joined the program? I'm actually glad that they're, they're here, you know, um, it's not an easy decision to leave your family and become an early enrollee, but uh, I've been impressed with a lot of the new guys. You know, they're picking up the defense uh, pretty well. Um, obviously, there's some mistakes because it's only been a couple of weeks in the spring, but we're coming to the end of it. But I'm really proud of them. You know, they're working hard every day to get better, and uh, I couldn't be any more proud. Any more questions for Nephi? All right. Thank you, Nephi. All right, there's Nephi Sewell, the youth linebacker in PK. It always strikes me. Uh, not, it's not like this with all the guys, but there are a significant number of the defenders, these guys who, you know, they, they play a violent sport. And he did reference on game day when his adrenaline is going. But then you interview them, and, and they can be so soft-spoken. You're thinking, man, how can you, you know, it's, it's almost easier when you're talking to somebody, um, well, we always, I mean, Brady Papinga is like the ultimate example, right? Like you can listen to Brady talk and you know right away, ah, he's a football player. He's a crazy linebacker running around out there. You hear some of these guys talk, you think, man, you really do flip the switch on Saturdays. Uh, yeah, we're in April here, so yeah. I, I don't want him to be crazy right now. There's no need to be at a high-level fever pitch you you've got months to go before you play games, so uh, I don't really care what you have to say right now. I care what you do <clears throat> as far as being in the situation to make the improvement that you need to make, so you're ready to go when the games count. And I think that's the most important thing. Uh, going back to what you were saying about these teams, what you can judge, I think for the Utes, it's a little bit different because they had so many new guys. I think you have to look at each individual roster, and I don't have that in front of me right now, to see 
okay, what guys are juniors and seniors? Mm-hmm. Because then I wouldn't be as concerned. There would be fewer question marks if they were juniors and seniors because if they're juniors and seniors, as, you know, as long as they're not JC guys, that means that they've played full seasons. And these kids for Utah, so many of them haven't played full, full seasons. seasons. Yeah, How are they going to be? You know, what's it going to be like in November when you've been practicing every day since uh, the first day of August, basically? That's a grind. You know, it's, it's, it's 24-7. When you think about what's asked of these kids and then you mix in the academics uh, and what's going on in their lives, there's a lot, and they don't have a lot of time. That's why you normally don't see guys getting uh, in trouble <laughs> in, during the season because there's no time. You know, every literally almost every minute is uh, scheduled for you, and then you got to go to sleep. So, and these youngsters, uh, you know, they played the high school ball, and that's great, but there's really no comparison between high school and college as far as what's expected of you virtually nonstop, particularly during the season. You know, we know the Dave uh, or Dan Hawkins rant, go play intramurals, buddy. You want more than two weeks off? What the crap are you talking about? <laughs> we all remember that rant years ago. Well, that's because it's true of what they're expected. So they didn't get to that point, you know, when they're mentally fatigued and they might be banged up and all that stuff. Whereas other teams, I'd have to look at their rosters to say, okay, I feel more confident. Now, the Sun Devils, using them as an example, because obviously I know them a little bit more. They had a lot of juniors and seniors, and a lot of them, particularly the seniors, chose to come back for another season. So they can't really use uh, youth and any of that stuff as as an excuse whatsoever. In fact, if I ever hear anybody related to Tempe's program say it, and I'm going to run down there and smack <laughs> him in the back of the head. Not this year. No. This is because these guys that he's got, that's who they had when he first got there. You know, they were all freshmen. And we get, you know, they were inconsistent, as you should be, uh, as a, compared to a junior-senior versus your freshman year. He played a ton of new dudes. Well, those dudes now are older, and so they can't use any of that. So that's why they're expected to be decent. For Utah defensively, you can't really say that on a lot of the positions. And certainly you can say it with Lloyd and to an extent Sewell have been out on the field. So you expect the linebackers. What you're going on for Utah is the rep. You got the, the two linebackers are set. They've played a good amount of football, okay? And we'll bring the young guys in and see how they progress. And I'm sure they're very good because Kyle, the one thing he knows, he knows a lot of things, but one thing he knows for sure is defense. We all agree on that. Uh, but we're going more on rep as far as with a little, with, with some evidence, not exclusively rep, not like it was last year. They do have some rep, but we're going, I mean, some experience, but we're going on rep, the D-line and, and backfield traditionally is strong. And it's good and gets stronger as they go. And that's, I think, where we're going with Utah. And I expect them to be good, no doubt about it, and expect them to be in contention because I think they're going to make a fair amount of improvement. But I would know more if they had played a full season. Yeah. I think the thing you take away from those five games on the defensive side of the ball is that after the opening against SC, which, as you pointed out, was weird because it was their season opener, they didn't have the non-conference games, and SC had already played twice. They gave up 33 points in that game. After that game, the defense didn't give up 30 points. Now, they did give up some big plays that were startling. They had um, halves of football where they weren't very good. You know, could they have held on to that game against Washington? (laughs) I mean, it was right there for the taking. Ultimately, they only gave up 24 points, but it was four points too many. 
Uh, and against Washington State, the way they got carved up in the first half was shocking, but uh, ultimately they held them to 28 points in a game. So uh, they're starting at a good place. You know, a little improvement off a stretch where you went four straight games and you didn't give up 30 points. Now you don't get to measure yourself against, you know, Oregon, and that's a team you're always going to want to measure yourself against. I get that. Um, you didn't play ASU. I guess that's another team you're going to measure yourself against. They ought to be at least decent, and maybe they'll be better than that. But at minimum, they'll be they'll be good. I would think. I would agree. Yes. So, so you didn't get to measure yourself I, against those teams in UCLA. It, it's a weird year when you don't play a team in your division. I don't know. I think UCLA. I think Colorado and UCLA are the two teams that I put the question marks on in the division. I think I I have a better handle on the other four teams, but I don't know what I think about those two for sure. Uh, Arizona, they're I don't gonna, expect them to be great, but right. there's a lot of mystery there in that they're bringing in a new staff. Uh, so you should still win the ball game, but there is going to be mystery there with an entirely new coaching staff as they made. Interesting, it's the first time since 1973, I think, I saw that they have brand new coaches in football and basketball. Oh. Uh, you don't normally, and, that, and obviously those are the two big sports on the men's side. Arizona does real well. They did real well in basketball. And then softball, they've been a national power for many years. Uh, but on the men's side, those are the two sports you look to. Baseball's been pretty good, too. They've won national titles. <clears throat> but uh, how's that going to play out? It's an interesting time in Tucson as far as their their teams there. So uh, we'll see you know, how how that plays out with Fisher. He's brought in a ton of enthusiasm. And one of the things they've done – that was really smart for them is they brought in a completely and totally media-savvy guy. Sumlin hated to do anything, and then when you're losing, it's like, well, what the crap, man? You know, you can only get away with that nonsense if you're winning, right? <laughs> you can't get away with that if you're losing. And Sean Miller did uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, he was viewed as dour and uptight and not very friendly. So my guess is they're going to bring in – a a uh, handshaker and a backslapper too there uh, as far as that goes. So interesting developments in Tucson as we go forward uh, with football and basketball. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the Masters is underway. Hudson Swafford, Siwoo Kim, both two under. They're on top of the leaderboard. A lot of the big names getting ready to uh, tee off here. We will talk Masters with Bob Casper and the Jazz. Back-to-back losses now coming off an overtime road game. they got to go back-to-back against a Portland team that was sitting here waiting for them. Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz, joins us at 9 o'clock. Bob Casper on the Masters next. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor joining us, Real Golf Radio. So the appetizer starts with pigs in a blanket. That's delicious. And you got to hand it to Dustin Johnson to put pigs in a blanket on a Masters Club dinner. Like, is there a more prestigious, in all of sports, dinner club? And he goes with pigs in a blanket. And then, oh, by the way, just to class up the joint, we're going to go lobster and corn fritters. And look, we all enjoy pigs in a blanket. I just don't know if that's uh, a Masters dinner. That's all. I've got the image of me eating like four of those just before I get into my flay with lobster tail. And how that would be. I like how you're like. Pair well. You're like, hey, bring more of those over here. <laughs> hey, Faldo, can I have yours? Yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry. 
Hans and Scotty. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Have the TV on during the show. The sound is down. You see kind of the headlines of whatever they're debating. And this morning they're doing the Masters cut-ins for whatever reasons that I don't completely understand. They, they can't televise the early round of the Masters, except they can't cut in. <laughs> okay, well, that's a pretty fine line. But uh, I saw your guy Patrick Reed working in the sand, PK. Putting the work in, ready to go. The unlikable yeah. guy. Your last pick. <laughs> I'm watching uh, CBS Sports. Uh, the sports networks like 221 on direct mm-hmm. and they got what's called masters on the range and i was just telling yak about it so they've got a camera looking down the line of the range mm. and wow it's a it's all these guys warming up and so then they've got the shot tracker on rory right so you know the ball flight the launch angle the carry the distance and all that right and it's and he's just hitting practice shots that would be like in the pregame warmups of the NBA. Oh, look at uh, look at Kevin Durant. You know, man, he just took a twenty-two footer. Who cares? It's, it's, there's no pressure. There's practice, but that's what they're doing because this is such a big deal. And you've got people sitting there watching. And I have to admit, if I were there, I would do it too. I would go watch these guys. And I'm right now. Yeah, it's a. Uh, they just had uh, Patrick Reed in the foreground. It looks like Shoffley in the background. And they're going through with their uh, coaches and their caddies and all this stuff. And they're just warming up because they can't show it. They can't show that there is now a, uh, a six, seven-way tie with one under. Jason Day, Hideki Matsui, and blah, blah, blah. Ian Poulter, uh, one under. Because they can't show uh, all this stuff. Uh, the, the coverage doesn't begin until... One o'clock our time. I think it's ESPN has the first and second rounds, and then obviously the uh, CBS picks it up for the third and fourth rounds. Uh, I saw some of the uh, some of the stuff from the range, and uh, DJ looked pretty relaxed. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm the defending champ. I'm financially set for life. And I'm golfing at Augusta. Well, plus he's at the range, too. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's the range. It's not, it doesn't matter. There's no pressure. You have to get out there. And when you tee it up, then that's another story. But it's funny to me that they're focusing so much on these guys at the range. It's, I don't know. Can you imagine? It's sort of like the home run hitting contest. I I was going to say, can you imagine before the World Series, it's BP and just analyzing (laughs) how far guys are hitting the ball in BP? Nobody does that. Normally, you just mm. do it uh, the home run contest, which is on the Monday before the yeah. All Star Game. I can recall I went and I when I was a, well, even as an adult, not just as a kid. And when I would go to games, I'd love to get there early and watch the BP. And I was at the Diamondback Stadium one year, and they were playing the Dodgers. And I thought I'd go out to left field and maybe try to snag a ball. And Sheffield Sheffield was up, and he's just hitting these missiles, and I don't have a glove. And I'm thinking, get out of here. I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> I'm going to go leaning over a chair. The ball's going to ricochet. It's going to cut my hands. This is not worth it for a practice ball. <laughs> how many? Uh, how many? 
<laughs> oh my gosh! How many uh, how many people were out there? Was there a chance you could pick one up? You know, caraming around, you know, rolling around underneath the chair. Uh, yeah, but I'd say there was probably a hundred people or so out in left field, and you know, then there would be over in right field, depending on uh, obviously left-handed batter, right-handed batter. But I remember specifically Sheffield, and we could all remember him with that bat, and he would wave it. Oh yeah, and he had a swing that seemed so fast and and so powerful and. And it was BP, and he's just hitting the launch angle. They nobody talked about launch angle and velo then, uh, and you especially didn't do it in batting practice. But uh, at that time, they were just whatever the velo and uh, launch angle was. They had to be at the top of the charts because they were. He was just crushing one after another, and so they were coming at you like Lucy at the chocolate factory, and you couldn't keep up. And these balls, and I'm thinking, I don't really like being out here. <laughs> I seem to be target practice for this guy. He's probably hey, who's that guy uh, with the big nose out there? I'm going to try to hit him because he was just hitting massive shots one after another but for people who are into that they geek out on that and then then that's what that's why you show these guys at the range and there's so many of these big names in the masters it looks like a beautiful day there Uh, bob was talking about earlier possibly rain later in the week but for right now there is uh, just gorgeous conditions so i would suspect pretty big scores and when you get a major like this you know i compare it to like the Super Bowl, or you just said the World Series, all the attention of the sport is on that thing. And all the big names, or everybody and their dog is there, right? And it's it's like the Super Bowl for for basketball or football, but for golf, and they have it four times a year. You know, the World Series is just those two weeks, that one time, however long it lasts, in the NBA Finals and all that stuff. It's a short time. Here you have it where they converge four times a year. Now, with the Masters, it's the same location each time. It's really an incredible, spectacular event if you're into it, and and certainly I am into it. Dustin Johnson just teed off, and, uh, you know, you never know on TV when they hit it where the thing's going, and you just see him lean over, and all of a sudden you tell, oh, he is worried. How bad is that? Is he in the trees, and they cut to it, and the ball hops and rolls, and he's a yard off the fairway. <laughs> it's just a yard. He'll be fine. He's, well, he's I really peering out there. Well, I really believe that if he is at his best, he's the best. If everybody brings their A-plus game, then he's going to win because his A-plus game is better than everybody else's A-plus game. Right now. Yeah, if you're dialed in. You're hitting fairways, you're hitting greens, and you're making putts. And that's the thing that was so spectacular about Tiger because his right now lasted so long. Other guys uh, doesn't last nearly as long, but for him – it did last for so long. That's what's just so incredible. I feel a sense of uh, gratitude or being fortunate to be able to watch Tiger during his prime. Now, we didn't get to watch Arnie and Jack and the other guys during their prime. And there's going to be golf fans who are younger years from now who, you know, their Tiger is going to be their Arnie and Jack yeah. in the way that uh, they are to us. But for us, we saw Tiger do his thing right there. And it was fun to watch. 
and, it, uh, and clearly it looks like it's over, obviously. It was going to happen. I find that interesting about uh, DeChambeau, oh, his swing, he's going to yeah. get hurt. Okay, <laughs> if you got 14 majors and 80 wins – you're going to get hurt. <laughs> right, okay. but he's not going to have 14 and 80, so is he going to have He's not. Is he going to have 7 and 40 because that would be awesome. That, that, but, he know, ta- but he's a lightning rod for criticism. Yeah. Yeah, he's outside the norm and and he's got the personality. I mean, he's not Patrick Reed, but he is a little this my wife likes to use the word brusque. <laughs> he's a little brusque. Well, that's even better because I want everybody to be the same. Nope, nope. You know the funny thing is uh, watching the uh, watching uh, Patrick Reed in the in the trap. He had the earbuds in, and I'm like, "Is he taking calls right now? Because that'd be awesome." <laughs> don't call me now. Well, don't put your don't put your earbuds in. No, he's listening he's, to rap. Yeah, I figured he's. What, what's his music? What is his go to? What's his sand trap music? Well, I mean, we we. We uh, we stereotype golfers, so they're all redneck Republicans. So they listen to country. I mean, that's that's the stereotype. I have no idea what his uh, musical tastes are. I have no idea. Is he listening to to like massage music? You know, this uh, just instrumental. This <laughs> is <laughs> Patrick Reed. Ah, you know? uh, like a little light jazz. Uh. Sure, I, I don't. Know. I actually, I don't when know I thought with is. him because of his his attitude, I thought he'd be the guy on tour listening to metal. Big hair bands so, of the eighties. I don't. I don't know what golfers need to do to get themselves in the mood because that's another thing that's impressive is the amount of concentration that you have to have because you're doing something. Uh, it's like a pitcher, you know. You're you're throwing that ball. Uh, if you beg, usually in a hundred pitches these days is where it's at there. And in golf, you know, you're smacking it around seventy uh, sometimes or high sixties, and to have that concentration on all those shots, it's just I've always I've always been impressed with that, that how these guys can do it because I think it is a grind over a four day deal. And it's not just a physical grind. It's probably less of a physical grind than it is a mental grind, because because it's a slow paced game, and it's not like you're you know you're playing third base and somebody hits a shot at you and you just you react and the play's over. You know what I mean? In a football, you, you offensive lineman, you got to hold your block for four seconds or five seconds. If you do that, you're great. Uh, here, there's so much downtime in and around, and it's just up to you. You know, you're not even in it's the really is it the only individual sport that, you know, aside from match play that you're not really competing against anybody else in the truest sense. There's no defense. There's no opponent. Right. It does. Yeah. You can't impact how the other guy plays. But see, you can, though. Uh, If you hit it tight, that's the mental aspect of it. That goes to the other guy. That's the interesting thing is that you can, but not in the truest way that we Okay, think not of. in the truest way. Because, you know, and on Sunday, you know, the odds go up that you're competing against the guy in your group. But you're not necessarily. We've seen plenty of times where there are two or three guys spread over the last two or three groups. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. you know, but sometimes at Augusta, they always talk about the roar. So you can right. know. So that gets in your mind. And what happened? Right, What's that, going on? Right. That's a birdie roar. Ooh, that sounded like somebody missed a putt, you know. <laughs> right. Did someone dump that in the water? 
So you're trying to figure that out, too, and that's going through your mind. That's why it's in a fascinating game, and the head matters in a lot of manner. Between the ears matters almost just as much as the physical skill that you have. I I wish – I don't know what happened with Bob, and we're trying to track him down, and and Yach's calling him repeatedly here. Uh, But the thing I'd like to ask Bob is about what you just said, because I'm just – you know, an amateur hacker who's no good and has just goes out and has fun if someone's in their group, you know. If it's the right group of people, I can have fun. These guys are at a level I can't even imagine. But when you talk about it's more of a mental grind than a physical grind. You know, and someone like me can be broken in a heartbeat by a bad shot. It's the easiest thing in the world. But I think the Masters, to me, is more of the mental grind because... Um, when you get to the U.S. Open, often, sometimes the PGA, depending on where they're being played, uh, the weather, I think, makes it more of a physical grind. You know, we've seen the U.S. Open played somewhere where it's hot, it's humid, and, I mean, guys are just sweating buckets, and it is really physical. You're just out there in the sun, and you're just dying hour after hour, you know, schlepping up and down whatever hills on whatever course, wherever they are in any given year. You know, one year at Pebble Beach and it's ocean breezes and it doesn't apply, but wasn't there one year they were in Tulsa and it was just miserable and they were watering greens and the the thing was dying. I mean, it was awful weather. But Augusta, because it's spring, I don't think they usually have to battle that. But the greens, everything is fast, you know, a putt, man it can get away from you in a heartbeat. You know, it can be going great and just one putt slides past the hole and everything's so fast. And now you got six feet coming back. And I I just think that beats guys up mentally, you know. Well, plus they want it so bad. Think about it. Yes. How many times have you seen guys on Sunday when they win at the Phoenix Open cry? That would be zero. And how many times have you seen them get emotional at a major? I can't even count. Yeah, I can't even. Dustin count. Johnson could not speak. Yeah, he couldn't speak last year, November when that lady who does the interviews on CBS—I I don't remember her name—and uh, she's standing at that point. It was this, you know, the social distance, six feet apart, and, and Dustin couldn't speak <laughs> without crying, and he didn't want to cry. So therefore, words—he couldn't get them out. And then when DeChambeau. He comes around, and they have his parents on the screen. And he comes around and sees them and immediately breaks down. Well, that was a different major, but it's the same thing. And that you're only doing that when you extend everything you have from an emotional standpoint and a physical and a mental standpoint. You literally gave everything you have. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen Tiger when, uh, what was it, the British after his father died. And he wouldn't let Steve Williams like, okay, we've done, we're done hugging. No, we're not. (laughs) He wasn't, he wasn't ready to let loose. Bubba Watson in the Masters, uh, all that stuff. And that's, that's fun to watch, man, because they're giving it everything they got. And for me as a sports fan, that's what I want to see. And I saw that last night with the Jazz. I felt that under the circumstances, they gave everything that they had. And, then, you know, they lost in overtime. It's the way it goes. But I felt like they gave everything they had. And that was a great game. From an entertainment standpoint, we all want the Jazz to win. Well, I had a guy text me, a friend of mine down in L.A. He's texting, so who are you rooting for? 
you know, because he knows I grew up in Phoenix. He says, I'm betting because it's your job, uh, you want the Jazz to win. I text back, money talks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you try to explain that to people. We've had to come in and do shows after big wins and after big losses. We'll do whatever we have to do, and we, we don't control it. But if you're asking me what I prefer, <laughs> well, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the thing about the game, I do feel like they spend a lot of energy. I, I certainly, as a basketball fan, I did not get cheated. That was, a, that was a really good game. But I think the one thing I would say about the effort is I have heard since I was a little kid going to basketball camps, to watching games on TV, to getting coached at the high school level and listening to the college and NBA coaches here. And the thing that consistently comes out of the mouths of people who have devoted themselves to basketball is that rebounding is about effort. You got to want the ball. Now it's changed a little over time because you're running down more long rebounds off missed threes than you used to. And the old days of three guys to the offensive boards and three guys blocking them out and trying to form that little U, that cup around the hoop, uh, so that the ball was coming off, to you, coming off to one of your guys for sure. You know, that's really changed. There's a lot of teams that drop four and only send one guy to the offensive glass. So it's changed over time, but what technically. But what hasn't changed is if you want the ball, you got to go get it and you got to spend a lot of energy to go get it over the course of a game. And the Jazz didn't do that even close to well enough. I mean, that, that is the easiest thing to point at. Then the threes, when we went to, uh, if you're not with us in the 7 o'clock hour, we do a segment and there's a lot of reaction, whatever the story of the day is, on Facebook and Twitter. And everybody, correctly, was going to the three-point shooting and the rebounding. But the three-point shooting, you know, how you run your offense, the shots you choose, when you choose to attack the rim. I mean, there's something to that and all that. But the rebounding, you got to go get the ball. If Chris Paul's got four rebounds and you've only got one, well, what happened? Chris Paul is in his mid-30s and he's six feet tall. So if he can get four rebounds, you can get four rebounds. And Conley only got one. Bogey only got one. Conley didn't speak after the game. Bogey did. Uh, they just bring the three guys out to the Zoom. So I don't know how they pick them or who they, who they bring out. But Bogey was one of the guys they brought out last night, and he said, I only have one rebound. I have to have more rebounds. You know, they've been on him about that before. He's not a good rebounder. He's got the size to be a good rebounder. Again, if Chris Paul can get four, you can get four. So that's the one place where I would say, mm, you need more effort. All I've ever heard my whole life is that rebounding is about effort. And you gave up 16 offensive rebounds and only got seven offensive yourself. And you got out rebounded 61-45. Well, no wonder you lost the game. That's a massive number. Yes. No one, you get out rebounded by 10 rebounds in a game. Like, five is noticeable. Ten is significant. You get to 16, you got your butts kicked. It's remarkable, and it does speak to how well they did other stuff in the game, that that thing went to OT when they got beat that bad on the backboards. You know, And there's just no way that anyone on that coaching staff is okay with that. There's no, no way. Quinn's not okay with it. Alex Jensen isn't okay with it going down the line. But I actually think that that's a little susceptibility for the Jazz because they are three-point oriented and they rely so much on Gobert. And he does a phenomenal job. And statistically, that all bore itself out last night. They did take the 44 threes and he did have 18 rebounds. I mean, he knew he had to go get them. But other guys got to go with him. 
Yeah. And, and, and Mitchell had eight. You can't crack on. And that was oh, one Mitchell, of the yeah. things when, you know, in Shaq, a lot of it gets lost in all the smoke and all that. But, you know, to his point is, if you're going to be a great player, you can't just score. And, you know, within this game, Mitchell took that to heart. Eight rebounds is a lot of rebounds. I mean, he's taller than Chris Paul, but he's not a lot taller. You know, and he's playing a long way from the hoop, but he got eight boards. Well, he's it, a lot more athletic. Right he now, is. Especially there's, at his age. There's a lot of, three, of missed threes to be tracked down. You know, they're bouncing all over the place. So you got to go get them. They, they might go to the corner. They might go out to the top of the key. They can go anywhere. And you got to go get them. You yeah, know? they only had three guys get offensive boards, and two of them were their big guys, and Niang got one. When, and, uh, Favors. Favors did well for, for what he's being he asked eight, to do. He had eight boards. And two offensive, yep. yeah, and only 16 minutes, so obviously oh. Favors, tip of the cap. A, a rebound every other minute's outstanding. A rebound every four minutes is not yeah. good enough. <laughs> but a rebound every two is excellent. And so their two big guys did it, but they don't really have what we define as classically as big guys outside of those two guys. Right. And then you look at Phoenix, and I think they had four guys. I don't have. I'll open up the box score. I but, got it right now. What do you want? How many? Look at the the rebounding for Phoenix. Didn't they have four guys who had a lot of rebounds? You had Camp Johnson had eight. He's yeah. a three-point shooter, but he also – he's very tall. Mm-hmm. So he's like in the 6'9", 6'10", range. Sarich is a big guy, had eight. In 11 eight minutes. 12, and Card, uh, Crowder had 12. Yeah, Sarich had eight in 11 minutes. That is – And four offensive – so he had half offensively. If they're, they're big guys. Phoenix's big guys played very, very well. The, the thing that happens is Gobert gets pulled away from the hoop on the pick and roll. He has got to be – there was actually one time in the game and Mark Jackson was spot on about he didn't get up enough, and I think it was on like a free throw line jumper from uh, Chris Paul. You know, he was dropping, he was retreating, and he wasn't close enough to Paul. Um, but he's got to go rebound too. So he's, you know, But if you split the difference against Chris Paul, there's not going to be a rebound because he's going to make the shot. You know, so the other guys have got to get in their rebound. And you talked earlier that Aiton, his 12 rebounds, his seven offensive was great. But Crowder with 12, Johnson with eight, Sarich with eight. You know, the Jazz, the Jazz didn't have Victoria that. Craig, five boards in 12 minutes. Their bench, Phoenix's bench, that's an underestimated uh, reason why they won. They got solid, solid contributions from just about everybody. Sarge, six points, eight boards in 11 minutes. Torrey Craig, who's a guy who was with Denver last mm-hmm. year that they picked up a week or so before the trade deadline, seven points, five boards in only 12 minutes. That's productivity right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they had. Uh, it looks like they had four guys who gave them something off the bench. Four, four of their five bench players did pretty well there. So... All right, well, we'll have more on the Jazz coming up. Craig Bolajak's going to join us top of the hour as the Jazz try to rebound from that Phoenix Suns loss and host the Blazers tonight and uh, try to avoid the three-game losing streak. Jazz a game and a half up on the Suns and only one in the loss column right now. Suns have to play the Clippers, and the Jazz have to play the Blazers. And you got to think the Clippers and Blazers were pretty happy with that overtime and wouldn't have minded double overtime. Like, you guys keep playing. You keep running yourself into the ground. You keep doing that. Good work, guys. All right, more in a minute. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Bowler's coming up in 15 minutes right here on The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
When you're as high as Zach Wilson is in this draft, I think a team has contacted him. They might be lying to him, but I would be pretty surprised if he didn't have a pretty good idea where he was going to end up going. Now, these things can change. It's different at at two, though, Gordon, because you've heard the stories in the past of guys who get picked later in the draft. Hey, Denver called me and they said they're going to pick me Mm -hmm. because stuff happens. You never know. But with the number two pick, like we're going to take you a number two unless you go one, I guess. And then uh, we'll deal with it. But when you're picking number two, that's a little different than if you're around in the seventh, you're going to be a Tennessee Titan. Right, exactly. Catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning. Brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, we still got people weighing in, PK. The question of the day. The Jazz, you know, that was an outstanding game. But it was also a loss. And the lead in the loss column is now just a single game over Phoenix. So how are you feeling about the team now? Kevin says it's nerve-wracking, but the game was essentially a tie, and come playoff time, all these regular season games will be a distant, foggy memory. Can we write them off that easily and push them that far out of our brain? No. No, 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 no. If you ask me that point-blank question, which you just did, I emphatically say no. Because I think you have to look at a couple of things here as far as, you know, it's seeding. We're into seeding purposes now. And so you want the most advantageous seed possible. And you never know how that's going to work out because uh, you can get uh, the three seed and the six seed can get injured and somebody a key player, blah, blah, blah. But you want that. And then I think what's most important is what are the vulnerabilities of the Jazz? They're not a perfect team. No, there's no such thing as a perfect team. And for them to get to, let's just uh, worry about the conference finals first before we worry about the NBA finals. To get to the conference finals, things got to go their way, and they've got to improve. And you just hit upon it. Uh, the rebounding, when you think about it, right now they really only have two guys that can say, yeah, I'm in the NBA uh, not exclusively, but a large part because of my rebounding, and that really on the roster, uh, and that's obviously the two big men and Rudy and Derek. Right, those guys they've been in the NBA, uh, in a large part. Rebounding isn't critical; it's a critical component of the game. So there's a little bit of a vulnerability there because nobody else can say, "Yeah, I'm in." You know, right there, rebounding or Royce O'Neal's his toughness in his defense. Yes, rebounding is a part of it but not exclusively, and then really nobody else. And so that's a vulnerability there. Where the, And vulnerability, maybe I'm just using, I'm being kind, and I'm saying vulnerability as opposed to weakness. And maybe it's a weakness. Now, you still have the best record in the, in the conference, so weakness, I'm a little hesitant to say weakness because after 51 games, you've proven that you still have the best record. But in the postseason there, that can be a problem. Now, it's not. I don't necessarily think it's a problem that can't be uh, maybe not fixed but mitigated because uh, I don't know that they're ever going to have a bunch of great rebounders outside of those two guys, but I think it's stuff that they can work on and be cognizant of. Yeah, I think that uh, you maybe underestimate Royce and the rebounding because 
Quinn has talked about it, and I mean, coaches do conceal stuff, obviously, but taking it at face value, uh, Royce's rebounding is something that Quinn values a lot. But I don't think he's. But it's not. He didn't make the league by saying, "I'm just going to go out and be a ferocious rebounder." You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's probably true. When it's you the toughness it and like the defense. That, yeah, when you phrase it like that. Um, but I think his minutes are impacted because I don't know. It, I've never heard Quinn talk about this. And if you asked him, he'd him and Hall because he doesn't want to devalue either guy. But I wonder who he trusts to get a big defensive rebound. Would he trust <laughs> Derek Favors more or would he tw- trust? Um, I mean, you trust Rudy first. Rudy's got the sure. size and he's got yeah. this. So th- that, that'd be, if there's one guy to grab one defensive rebound, it'd be Rudy. But next, would he pick favors and you get some size there? And then also, he's closer to the rim. Uh, you know, O'Neal rebounding outside of his area. And of course, if you're defending on the three point line and you have to get It'll into the harder. paint, you're outside of your so area. You can't really blame him. But he does it. He does do it. You see him. I can, mm. I can close my eyes and see him swooping in to grab a defensive But the board. reason why we're talking about he does it is because he's better than what we think. Yeah. Not because he's because a great the rebounder game in and game out. And, and you know, I find it fascinating, this whole spiel about plus minus. It seems like we only use plus minus when it's a plus and we're <laughs> trying to make an argument. But O'Neal is minus 13. We don't, we, we don't ever talk about that. And Joe had the best plus 12. I do think that there are guys who ride coattails in the plus-minus, and there are guys who create it. And so we are always going to pick our spots. I thought the guy who created the plus-minus in the game last night was Chris Paul. I thought every t- well, not every time. In the second quarter, I didn't—and I have to go back and look at the numbers. I might be off. But watching the game in the second quarter, it didn't feel to me like the Jazz took full advantage of Chris Paul being out of the game. I thought in the first and third quarters, when he left the game, the Jazz went on a roll. And I thought—so if you're— on the floor for the Jazz, when Chris Paul sits down, your plus-minus number ought to be better, regardless of whether you're matched up with him or not. I mean, he had that impact on the game that if you have to play your minutes when Chris Paul is on the floor, then I think your plus-minus probably isn't as good. So there is definitely this um, uh, inconsistent kind of hinky thing to plus-minus. You know, sometimes, yeah, and I don't know what's the word. Give me a word. There's something weird. There's something. But I never heard of Hinky. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say. I may have just made it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's Sam Hinky, the former executive in the I was NBA. thinking of Sam. It's the <laughs> Hinky thing because his name, he valued that and he put his name on it. Uh, well, if you made it up, it's even more awesome. Yeah, I don't know. That's the there's, just, there's something um, unpredictable and inconsistent about the stat, which makes it frustrating to use. Fluky. Fluky. Fluky's a good word, yeah. There can be this, there are guys in jazz history who as they got better, their plus minus got worse because the coach, regardless of who the coach was at the time, trusted him not to be out there with the best players on the team. <laughs> as you get better, hey, I can put you out there with the backups and you hold it together. Now your plus minus won't be as good because you don't get to play with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. You don't get to play with Stockton and Malone. But because you're a better player... I trust you now that you don't have to be out there with the Hall of Famers and the statues and the All-Stars and you know whatever they're yeah. going to turn out to be when their career is said and done. So yeah. there's this fluky nature to it, and you got to take all that into account. It's, I think it's a really meaningful stat, but I think of all the stats that require context, which now I'm using grown-up words that are actually in the dictionary, uh, that require context, you better have context when you talk about plus-minus. Because... 
if you watch that game last night, Chris Paul had a great game and had a major impact, and it was a different game when he wasn't on the floor. And you can't take credit or blame for that. That's because Chris Paul. And you know the other thing, and I know we got to get to break here and get to Bowler. We can talk about this with Bowler. You know, I know Jazz fans are frustrated, but like as a as a team, as a player, as a team, as a fan base, you got to take these punches. You know, how many frustrating games and series has Kevin Durant lost? How many frustrating games and series has LeBron lost? You know, this happens to everybody, and you got to take it, and you got to learn from it, and you got to be better. Nobody, we talk about don't skip steps. How many times did Dennis Lindsay tell us that when they were doing the rebuild from ground zero, right? This is one of the steps you don't get to skip. You lose big games to good teams, and that you don't, you don't get, you rarely get the immediate gratification of just turning it around and winning it all and feeling great. You know, if you want to be really negative and say, oh, the Jazz are going to screw it up and lose in the end. Well, 29 teams are. You know, Michael Jordan lost more than he won. You know, outside of Bill Russell, you got me because Bill won 11 times in 13 years. But otherwise, you got to take these punches and you got to learn from them and overcome it. And that's just, that's the history of the NBA. And if it, if it, if it happened to Bird and Magic and Jordan and LeBron, it's going to happen to you too. It's part of the deal. DJ and PK, Bowler's coming up next. Stay with us.